Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Emmy Vadness, co-host with Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is being in your element. My guest is Lindsay Fauntleroy, who is a licensed acupuncturist and the founder of the Spirit Seed School. She is an instructor for the National Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine and a facilitator of the Flower Essence Society's Global Practitioner Certification Program. Lindsay is engaging in her doctoral studies of Indigenous and African Diasporic Psychology. Lindsay is author of In Our Element, Using the Five Elements as Soul Medicine to Unleash Your Personal Power. Lindsay is based in the New York City area, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Lindsay. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today. I am beyond excited to be here. Thank you. The elements help make up who we are. You can see it in astrology, tarot, I Ching, uh, the traditional Chinese five element theory, and in the seasons of the year. That's what I love about these systems, these, these systems that we have access to today that come out of, um, older worlds, older medicine systems, they come out of indigenous cultures, that every psychology um, in the old world before modern medicine was connected to nature. So we see these systems of the elements in the oldest medicine, and we're able to bring that forward into our lives now in ways that are really practical and relevant. And it just is a reminder that, you know, nature is perennial. It's going to be there long after humans, but these archetypal forces keep showing up for us over and over again throughout time, throughout different cultures, and throughout history. What are the elements? So in the system that I work with, which is the system that originates in uh, shamanic tradition in Asia, it's the foundation of acupuncture theory. And so that five element system is water, wood, fire, earth, and metal. And so before I jump into what those elements are, I always do have to give the disclaimer because, you know, in astrology, there's a system of four elements. In the Native American medicine wheel, there's a system of elements, just like you said, in different African spiritual traditions, there's a system of elements, and they don't always line up with one another. And so a lot of times what happens is um, folks can get really discombobulated or confused or upset and say, okay, well, I thought fire meant this. And you're saying that it means this other thing. And so what I like to remind people is that each of these systems originated in a particular climate and context. And so your relationship with fire is going to be very different if you live in a desert than if you live in a cold climate. Your relationship with water is going to be very different if you live in a forest versus if you live by a beach. And so even though the archetypes of the elements are consistent, the way that humans related to those elements show up differently 
in different cultures throughout time. So that being said, um, those five elements, water, wood, fire, earth, and metal, each relate to different seasons of um, the psyche and of nature. And so what we would say is that, you know, water is like the winter. And so just like in the winter here in the Northeast, if you want to go inside, get under a blanket, be a little more reflective and internal, that's, those are going to be the qualities that we see show up with the water element versus with the fire element when we're more external, when we're more, you know, there's longer days, we're spending more time outside. I don't know about anyone else, but my schedule gets really busy in the summer. That's an expression of the fire element. And each of those elements has a different season that teaches us a little bit about what's going on in our psyche. And you just described the two polar opposites in the yin and the yang. That's right. That's right. And that's the philosophy in East Asian medicine says that each um, yin and yang each transform into one another and balance one another. So rather than seeing them as like static opposites, it's this movement of oppositional energy that the night becomes the day and the day becomes the night, but there's no hierarchy. One is not better than the other. They actually define and inform one another. Right. And that yin element can be that more introspective, intuitive, quiet, calm. And that's why you mentioned winter time, which is also related to nighttime, and then the more expansive, active summer, which is also then correlated with high noon as well. That's right. And heat and activity. And the thing that I think is really helpful to think about in terms of yin and yang in this work is that our yang, the yang aspect of ourself is the part of ourself that sets the intention, that has the goal, that has the conscious awareness of whatever we're trying to create. And the yin is what gives that substance. The yin is going to be the subconscious, the emotions, the feeling, the earth energies, the timing that we can't necessarily control. And those two have to work together when we're manifesting something. We have to have our intention and then our actions and our energies have to back it up in order to create what we want in life. Are we all born with certain elements that are more prominent than others? So, yes, I would definitely say yes. And there are different types of acupuncture theories that help you figure out what we would consider your constitutional element. But the way that I think about the elements is in terms of phases and transformations. So when we look at the translation of what we commonly call the five elements, it's a term that says wuxing. And that actually means five changes, five transformations, or we could say five seasons. And so what I think about and talk about in the book is what phase am I in? What phase is my life calling for? Because we have access to all of these energies. And so even though I might have a strong, let's say, constitutional wood element, right? That may be true, but what I'm experiencing in my life might really ask me to call on the energies of the earth element and to bring that forward. And so what I talk about in the book in terms of being in our element is a process for understanding what phase am I in, first of all? What is my life asking of me? And then what ally from the natural world can support me in being fully authentic as I navigate that circumstance, whether it's my parenting or my relationships or my career, 
um, that different elements might come in to support me and I can call on any of them regardless of what I might be constitutionally. What are the five elements? So if we go through each of the five elements, I like to think about a plant, right? And I think that's the easiest way to tune into each of the elements and the lessons that they teach us. So if we start with the water element, that's the phase of plant life that's a seed. And just like a seed, it's deep under the earth, it's dark. And so the the water element, like we just mentioned, talks about that being introverted, introspective, but it also deals with the unknown. You know, it's kind of deep in the darkness, it's in the mystery, it's that subconscious mind, and it teaches us how to lean on and trust the unknown. So that's one of the gifts of the water element. How do I get comfortable not knowing? How do I rely on other ways of knowing, like my intuition, um, my dreams, and, and things like that? And then coming out of the seed, the seed begins to sprout and reach for the sun, and that is represented by the wood element. So just like that sprout that's pushing for the sun, I like to say a plant doesn't ask for its share of the sun. It just grows toward the light. So it's this inner knowing, this inner ability to become. And so the wood element teaches us how to go after what is ours, to use our gifts and talents in service of the world, but also to be unapologetic and boundaried as we're ascending and going for it, right? So the wood element teaches us how to take a stand and how to be self-validating. And also it deals with the emotion of anger, what comes up when our freedom is blocked. And the wood element teaches us how to navigate those circumstances. Then once we move from the sprout, we come to the blossom, the flower blossom, and that's the fire element. So when I think about a beautiful bouquet of flowers, it brings me joy. Um, And that's what the fire element teaches us. It teaches us how to connect to our inner joy. And it also teaches us how to be in relationship. So the fire element teaches us about connection, about relationship, about intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, and all the ways that we connect to one another, and also all the ways that we connect to our our spirituality. Um, Coming out of that flower phase, we come to the fruit, which is, if you imagine a little heavy apple and blossoming on a tree, and that's that weightedness that brings us back down to the earth. And so just like food, the earth element teaches us how to nourish each other, nourish ourselves, give loving kindness in service of humanity to one another. And it also teaches us how to manifest things, how to take things out of the mind and bring them down into the body, into the world, into our life. And then last but not least, we come to the metal element. If we could just picture that apple falling to the earth and starting to rot and decompose, that's the metal element. It teaches us how to leave the substance and form and to return to spirit or return to the essence. It's the element that teaches us how to let go of things that have served their time and really just hold on to what is eternal, which is memory, which is love, which is spirit, and to begin the cycle all over again as that rotten apple becomes a new seed. That is a wonderful explanation of a plant And really, you just took us through a tour of the seasons with the water being winter, the wood being spring, and then we go to fire in summer, and then we have the earth element in late summer or autumn, and then metal 
<laughs> That's right. And we would say that the earth element is that late summer harvest season, you know, when we're gathering all of the harvest and then metal is the autumn when we start to let go and things look like they're starting to die and the leaves turn colors and it brings us right back into that cycle of winter again. Yeah. And that brings compost for the seed to nourish itself or receive that nourishment and grow once again. That's right. Before we go a little bit further into the elements, can we talk a little bit about chi and energy and this um, aspect of how these elements can flow from one into the other? Chi is life force. It's energy. It is the shared breath between humans, nature, the stars. And so when we're talking about chi, we're just talking about that animating life force. Um, in psychology or in, in depth psychology specifically, or um, this comes out of Greek thought as well, this idea of the anima mundi, which is the soul of the world. This idea that there's there's some kind of presence, there's some kind of energy that connects all of us. And so in acupuncture, we think about that life force energy as chi. It moves through our bodies in the meridians in the same way that the blood vessels carry blood um, or the lymph system carries lymph, the the meridians carry this chi, this life force, this consciousness, um, this light energy that we can tap into. And the way that I explain acupuncture is that if you imagine a river and you have a block in the river, one side of the river, things are going to start to build up and get a little gunky and stuff is going to get trapped in it. It's not going to flow well. And then on the other side of that blockage, things are going to dry up. And those things are not going to thrive either because there's just not enough water flowing. And so as we move those blockages and the river starts to flow more in a more balanced way, that's how we find health. That's how we find harmony. And that's really what we're up to when we're working with this medicine. We're moving the blockages so that things can flow smoothly and easily, which we experience as good health. And then when things are blocked, we experience it as um, an emotion that we can't get through, a physical symptom maybe. All of those symptoms are signs that there's a blockage somewhere. And how can we create harmony by getting rid of that gunk? And each of the meridians or energy pathways in acupuncture are either yin or yang, and they also are governed by a particular element. Yes, that's right. So there are, um, classically speaking, there are 12 meridians, and each of the elements has a yin and yang pair. But another way to think about it is that it's like one long highway that's just broken up into 12 different cities is the way that I like to think about it. Because the energy just all flows through that one network um, and the meridians each point us to where in our body that particular chi is moving at that particular point in time. So for the wood element, we have the wood yin meridian, we have the wood yang meridian. For the water element, yin and yang and so on. And then the fire element, has actually four meridians. That's how we get the 12. The fire element has the heart and small intestine meridians. And then it also has the pericardium and the triple heater meridians. And so the way that I think about those two is that one is the system that connects us to the divine Mm -hmm. in the fire element. And then the pericardium and triple heater are the meridians that connect us to 
one another as as a human family. The anima mundi resides within the individual and also with all of us. That's right. It's shared. It's and when we say all of us, we mean all of us. We mean it's shared with humans. It's shared with trees, flowers, plants, the rivers, the oceans, the stars. It's a shared consciousness. And so, one of the phrases that I think of when I think of the anima mundi that、um, many people know this idea of as above, so below. And the rest of that phrase is as above, so below; as within, so without; as the universe, so the soul. So this idea that whatever we see out there is also going on inside of here as well, and that's why we can look and see what's happening in the seasons and see a relationship with what's happening inside of ourselves. That's why I like to look at movies and popular culture and see, okay, what are the kind of images that are really popular in movies right now? Because that tells me something about what we're wrestling with as humans and as we figure out how to be on this planet. And so, again, as the universe, so the soul. Everything that's happening out there is happening inside of us, and especially the things that we see out there that trigger us and get us upset. Are very definitely a reflection of something within ourselves that is asking for attention and balance. How can one discover what elements are more predominant within them and how to balance them or work with them? So one of the things that I talk about in the book is this four-step process of figuring out which element is up for you right now. And what I love about this is that you're just doing it one month or cycle at a time. You don't have to commit to an element for the rest of your life, but it's really a process of saying, "Okay, what's going on with me right now?" And that's the first and most important question: What's going on with me right now that I am ready to change? Because again, all of these elements are alive. And you could work with any one of them at any point in time, and and have some fantastic stuff happen. But really deciding, I'm going to work on this thing, whether it's my finances, whether it's my parenting, whatever it is that's triggering me that I'm ready to change. Maybe it's a pain point or a pressure point in my life. So that's the first step. What are you ready to change? The second step is looking at your emotions. What emotions are coming to the surface, and that is going to point us to what we would call the etheric body, and each of the elements relates to a particular emotion. So the core emotion for water is fear. The core emotion for wood element is anger. The core emotion for the fire element is love or brokenheartedness, the lack of love. The core emotion for the earth element is either nurturing or over consideration, and the core、uh, emotion for the metal element is grief or loss. And so, in step two of the process, which emotion is showing up for you? Which emotion is showing up in a way that is maybe out of proportion to the situation or inappropriate for the situation? You're at a party, but you're crying. Something there doesn't fit. <laughs> so that tells you that there's an emotion that is wanting some attention, or maybe there might be a symptom in your physical body that's pointing you to a, a particular、uh, place or emotion. So that's step two. Step three is looking at the signatures, and this is where it gets really fun, at least for me because I love this stuff so much.、Um, but each of the elements has 
its archetypal signatures, its areas or arenas that it is that it shows up for. So for example, of course, if it's a relationship challenge, the fire element is is signatured by relationships or relationship challenges. If you are starting a business and needing to kind of go out on your own and, and be a little bit of a warrior, a pioneer, that's a signature for the wood element. So we go through a process where we look at our emotions and then we look at the signatures. And then the last piece is looking for your why, your purpose. So what is your why? And one of the examples that I give, um, I talk about it in the book, but I think it's a pretty shared experience. I've gone through various programs of, let's say, weight management, right? And so you go into this program and they're like, why do you want to lose weight? And it's like, oh, I obviously I want to lose weight. That's why I want to do the program. But as I kept asking myself that question, I realized that it was about something deeper, that it wasn't about looking a particular way, but it was wanting to feel vibrant and sensual. And all of those things are related to the fire element. So when we combine your emotional experience with what you want to change, what its signatures are, and what is your purpose, you land on an element that is going to be an ally for you as you work that uh, transformation. That's a great example. It can be similar, for example, a lot of people want more money. And it isn't necessarily just to have more money, but it's what money can do for them and how they can feel and experiences they can have and so forth. Right. So it, it always ties, this medicine always ties us back to deeper meaning and deeper purpose and deeper alignment. So if it's the money, it's, is it, do you want freedom? Do you want to live a legacy? That's going to be a signature of the water element. If you're looking for freedom, that's going to be a signature of the wood element. If you're looking for um, something that's going to make you feel more safe and secure, again, that's going to point you to the water element. So each of the elements has a different why. Each of the elements has a different gift that it offers us. And so working with these elements really helps to bring us back to being more connected with our authentic selves and also more connected with everyone around us. Our true natures. Our true nature. Yeah. Our true nature is nature. <laughs> exactly. Once we have a better sense of which element might be out of balance or which one might be <laughs> so strong that it's out of balance. <laughs> that happens. Yeah. What are the next steps we can take to be more in our element? So I walk us through different, what I call soul first aid, which is a menu of different tools and strategies. It's very much a choose your own adventure kind of book. And so one of the tools that I offer is just self-awareness. So if you know that you're working with an element, each of those elements has a particular soul lesson that it teaches. And so it's really going through and journaling. I give some journal prompts to help you tap into and see how how am I living in this element right now before I make any changes? What's working for me? What isn't working for me? A few of the other tools that I offer in the book are music, because music is extraordinarily effective for helping us shift our chi and move our life force. So you might listen to some songs that 
cultivate the energy of that element. I list some yoga poses. And in the book, I give illustrations that show you the meridians and where they lie in the body as you're doing those poses. And so you might pick one or two poses to strengthen or to stretch or to balance that river of consciousness in your body. And so that's another way that you can approach it. And then one of my favorite ways to work with the the element as it comes up is through flower essences. So flower essences are vibrational remedies that help us to unlock these hidden gifts, these hidden treasures. They help us to replace our limiting beliefs and shift our emotional patterns as we're stepping into our element. Can you share what current research there is on working with the five elements and chi in acupuncture and also with flower essences? Because I think for a lot of people listening, some people are maybe familiar with some of these topics, but for those who are listening, it might seem sort of um, abstract or nebulous to them. So there is a lot of research, and I would say there's growing research being done about how these medicines work, uh, especially now when there's been such a boom in alternative medicine and complementary medicine. Folks are going back into the books and going into the data and looking at the research that connects mind, body, feeling, and emotion, and how all of these things are part of an interconnected forest. So there are there is a lot of empirical data out there, specifically around acupuncture, because as we know, the medical research is going to tie us into things like insurance. You know, an insurance company is not going to pay for acupuncture unless they know it works. And so that's what's really exciting about this medicine is that there are more and more studies, there are more and more doctoral programs in the field of acupuncture that is compiling that research, that empirical data that says this medicine works and more and more um, it's it's not being questioned. You know, when I started my practice 15 years ago, very few people were talking about acupuncture. And thankfully now it feels a little bit more commonplace, um, especially for injuries and physical pain and things of that nature. Lots of research out there. There's a limitation in that, in that this medicine can sometimes transcend what can be measured. So from that perspective, how do you measure inspiration? How do you measure a sense of well-being? You can. You can rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. And we do. We do that that research when we do our clinical training program. We have a certain metrics that we use to compile the data of whether what we're doing is actually working. But it doesn't tell the full story. It doesn't give the whole picture of what's possible with this medicine. And so what I'm excited about is that there is growing research that is more qualitative research that is asking about the lived experience of a person using these interventions that is contextualized inside of the the cultural context of the person who is experiencing the transition. And this is one of the things that I think really distinguishes this medicine um, from other types of interventions, especially thinking from the field of, of therapy, which is often what flower essence work is aligned with, even though they're not the same. And by that, I mean, is that I'm not looking for the transformation to happen in the moment in response to something that I've said 
or some wisdom that I have. That's not necessarily how this medicine works. What happens is you go back into your life. You're working with this flower essence. You think it's not doing anything because it's just a little couple of drops in your water. And then all of a sudden, the thing that used to make you really mad doesn't make you mad anymore. Or that anxiety that was keeping you up at night simply isn't there. And so in order to track those kinds of changes, that's where the value of qualitative research comes in. That's where the value of the story, that's where the value of the actual experience and looking at those in a systematic way. Of course, we're not throwing the research aside, but compiling that data in a systematic way that creates a more complete picture of how this medicine works. And again, it's remembering that a lot of this medicine originated in indigenous cultures. The scientific method is very, very new in terms of the whole of humanity. It's about 500 years old. So it's great and it works, but it's not the only way to validate an experience. And so I like to take a yes and approach. I'm like, give me the data and tell me the story. (laughs) And that's how I know that what I'm doing is working. Quantitative and qualitative. And, and you're right, you know, with traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, a lot of these, um, practices in Africa, they really have, uh, the, the roots in the experience of the individual and everybody is unique with what will help them. And also the meridians of acupuncture and some of the acupoints, I believe, um, many of them are quite poetic. I believe one of them is even like elegant mansion. <laughs> Yes. And that's the thing. We can look at this medicine on many different levels. And so even with something like that, the the acupuncture points, you know, during the Chinese Revolution, as acupuncture was moving west, a lot of the spiritual underpinnings of the medicine were stripped away, but they're still there. And so we could look at a point like, say, Stomach 36, which is basically giving us the location on on a highway. It's like the GPS coordinates. Stomach 36, this is the point that we're using. And we have the data that tells us what this point does when we stimulate it. And then we also have the knowing that the symbol for this point means three-leg mile. And we hear the mythology that says, that they used to stimulate this point when the soldiers were so fatigued on the battlefield that they needed this point to go three more miles. And so when we bring that and we know, okay, this is a point that we use for fatigue, so I'm going to use it in that way. But I'm also going to tell my client, you know, this is the story behind this point. And I know that you feel exhausted. And I know that you feel like you can't keep going. And I want you to envision these soldiers going three more miles because they are feeling this chi being stimulated. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's not an either or are we using this mystical, magical kind of woo-woo medicine or are we using this very clinical or scientifically valid medicine? I say, yes, we're doing both. And it really depends for me on the lens of the patient. What does the patient need to know or heal here in order to feel the impact of this medicine? I noticed that you are very in your element when you talk about acupuncture and specifically flower essences. Can you share a little bit more about what flower essences are and how they can help us be more in our elements? Sure. I love talking about flower essences. And often people uh, 
often people mistake flower essences for essential oils. So I want to clear that up and let everyone listening know that flower essences do not have a scent. You cannot put them in your diffuser. You cannot put them in your lotion or candles or any of those things. They are related to essential oils, but actually quite different. Um, they're vibrational remedies that I would say lie at the intersection of herbology and homeopathy. So the way that flower essences work is that they move the thought body. What does that mean? It sounds a little <laughs> confusing, if I'm perfectly honest, but it's based on an indigenous belief, again, coming back to the anima mundi, that human intelligence is not the only intelligence out there. And that every plant has something to teach us. And so each of the flowers um, that are used in flower essence therapy have particular um, perceptions or beliefs or things that they can help us fix in our own psychology. So I'll give an example. If we are a person that is, say, feeling very impatient we're trying to get where we're going and we're stuck in traffic and nothing is moving and flowing and we're feeling a lot of angst inside of ourselves because we just need to get there and do it. And then when we come home, we have a partner or a child that just isn't getting it and I wish they would just get on the ball a little bit more. That's an, that's an energy and an attitude within us. And then there is a flower essence called impatience. And in patients, we look at the form and the function of the flowers, and it's one of those flowers that when it blossoms, it it kind of is very reactive. It spews out as soon as it's touched. It spews its seeds a couple meters away. And so that flower essence will, if we're working with it, it will give us the insight and the understanding that everything happens in its own pace, that everything happens in its own time, that I am not out of sync with the cycles and rhythms of life. And so that's just one flower essence or one message that it helps us to embody. And of course, that's going to show up depending on what is our trigger. We're going to each as human individuals respond to that message in different ways. So I'd like to give the example of the iceberg. And at the tip of the iceberg, what we can see above the water is our conscious mind, what we know, what we think, what we intend our goals and and what we can know consciously and then underneath the iceberg is all of the stuff in our psyche our subconscious beliefs the stuff we absorbed as children that has its own agenda and what the flower essences do is bring that psychic material up to the forefront so that we can examine it and make new decisions so perhaps it works subtly on our consciousness it does. And it's very, very subtle. And that's why sometimes it takes a few weeks before you realize, oh, I'm actually thinking differently. I give the example of saying that it doesn't feel artificial. And I, I think the best way that I could describe it is thinking about music and an orchestra. And so if we have a brilliant, beautiful orchestra, the symphony is beautiful and amazing and harmonious, but then maybe one of the instruments gets out of tune or out of sync, and it just messes up the whole soundtrack. Mm -hmm. So the flower essence would be, if we imagine that symphony is like our thoughts or our, our emotional consciousness, and when we're feeling great, it's great music. But when we start having self-doubt, when we start having fear, when we start having anxiety, it throws off the music. 
So that thought or that energy or that vibration is out of tune and out of pitch. And the flower essence helps to bring that back into balance so that we can be in harmony again. Can you give an example of how you help someone be more in their element with flower essences or anything else that you may have helped them with? Sure. I can give a a pretty recent example. I had a client that was uh, in a relationship for about five years and it ended terribly. So I, you know, I think many folks can relate to that heartache and that heartbreak that comes when a relationship ends. So she was experiencing tremendous amount of grief, which is appropriate for, for such a significant loss. But it got to a point where that grief was starting to interfere with the rest of her life. So she wasn't as present as work. She wasn't as present with her children. She was sort of spiraling in this grief. And so we worked with the metal element. So there were three lessons within the metal element and the flower essences that supported her in moving to the next step. And so the first thing that we worked with is the sole lesson of the metal element that is let it go. Or I like to say, let go or be dragged. And so this idea that things come into our life for a reason, a season or a lifetime, and when they've served their time, it's okay to let them go. And so that was the first round of flower essences that we, that first layer of cutting through the grief was her being able to separate and start to let go of the the clinging and the attachment and essentially the habit of being in relationship with this person, right? So that was the first step. But then once we were working through that letting go, we found that underneath that there were some feelings of worthiness that needed to be addressed. And so the metal element teaches us that we are reflections of the divine, that we are perfectly imperfect, that we are flossom, that our mistakes are part of who we are. And so we had some work to do around her self-worth and her self-esteem, some of which had its roots in some early childhood circumstances that had impacted how she felt about herself, particularly in relationships. So it was through working with this metal element that she was able to move through the letting go of the relationship, coming back to her own center, and then also stepping into her own worthiness that allowed her to say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm not going to keep going back into this pattern anymore because it doesn't reflect who I am now. So she was able to take the lessons of the relationship. She was able to take the the love from the relationship and bring that into a new wholeness as she stepped forward into her next phase. How can each element teach us soul lessons? So each of the elements, I identified these soul lessons. And why I call them soul lessons is because they're, they're kind of like archetypal truths that I would see over and over again in my clients. I'd love to share some of these soul lessons, but I want to make sure that I emphasize that these are not the only lessons that we can learn from these elements. Um, and so when we start with the water element, the water element teaches us how to create an oasis. In other words, take a nap, take a break, put down the doing on your to-do list. It teaches us how to connect to the source. And then soul lesson three is that you are ancient, that you have roots and lineage that extend from somewhere. You didn't just pop up here unattached to everything that came before you. So those are the soul lessons of the water element. Mm -hmm. 
The soul lessons of the wood element, and this lesson I have to say is my absolute favorite, it's that anger equals change. The soul lesson that whenever we feel anger, it is a call for us to do or create something. The second lesson related to that is take a stand. Then the wood element teaches us to express ourselves. And then lastly, that our purpose has power. How do we step into what it is that we are here to do? The soul lessons of the fire element relate to the heart. So the first lesson is that you are whole, that you cannot be broken or damaged from this perspective, that we are inherently wholehearted beings. The second lesson is because you are whole, open your heart, allow things to touch you um, emotionally, physically, intimately. The next lesson of the fire element is that joy has juice. It gives us energy. And then finally, that our senses are sacred. To really think about the blessing of sight, sound, touch, um, hearing, and in whatever spectrum of, of those senses that we have access to. Then we come to the earth element, remembering that the earth element is that apple on the tree and the, the fruit of the natural world. And so the earth element teaches us to honor the mothers and mothering as a mother principle, whether we have children or not. Uh, one of my mentors says, if you have a belly button, you have a mother. And so this idea of reconnecting to the archetypal mother uh, as one of the forces of creation is a way of honoring the feminine to find your center and to relate from your own center to the rest of the world. And then also to remember that your body is a temple, that it is spirit and it is nature and that we can take care of ourselves as we need to. And then last but not least, we have the metal element soul lesson. Some of them I just shared in the story, but the first uh, lesson of the metal element is to be present the metal element is related to the lungs and large intestine in, in Chinese medicine. And so the breath being here now in the present moment and the other lessons are that you are precious and again, let it go. If it doesn't serve you, if it's not for you, let it go, let it compost so that you can plant a new seed. You yourself healed from infertility using many of these remedies you're talking about today. Yes. So this is actually how I got introduced to this medicine. And it's, you know, in depth psychology, we talk about the wounded healer and this idea that the wound is where the light enters. And so for me, my infertility journey was a bit of an initiation into all of these healing arts because it was the thing that mattered enough for me to try to change. And so I was um, diagnosed with premature ovarian failure. And that meant that in my early 20s, I was in active menopause and couldn't, at the time, there was very little technology around having children. IVF was still relatively new, super expensive and not an option for me. And I really, really wanted to have children. And so it happens. I was crying and carrying on and just in that moment of devastation when a friend offered me my first flower essence. And so that I feel like was a catalyst in it and a turning point because again, how do you measure inspiration? There was something subtle that shifted and said, you're going to be okay. It didn't necessarily say you're going to have a baby. It was just, 
you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Um, you are going, your life is going to be fine. And so as I was working with the flower essences, I was also immersed in, in spiritual community, lots of prayer, lots of community prayer and ritual. I was getting acupuncture. I was doing yoga. I was taking herbs and I came across this book called The Infertility Cure. And one of the first lines in the book said, in East Asian medicine, there's no such thing as infertility. And I said, well, then this is the medicine that I need to be using. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what started my love affair with all of these things. I had worked with the medicine for about two years uh, before, before having my daughter, um, who's now almost 16. And I will say it wasn't a, a linear journey within that process. I had a miscarriage and, and it was devastating and had to really kind of pull myself into starting again and, and trusting my path and, and just doing that healing work, moving through trauma, moving through relationship challenges. And the, the medicine was really an ally for me every step of the way. And so after I had my daughter, she was about three or four and, and my room was now at this point surrounded with acupuncture textbooks because I was so in, in love with the medicine and the philosophy. And then I was working with another flower essence called wild oat. And I started thinking, hmm, maybe I should go to acupuncture school since I'm reading all of these textbooks. <laughs> and and that's ultimately how I got started in this and really doing this medicine as a career. Mm -hmm. What do you feel changed inside of you and I like how you identify that there isn't just one thing that can heal somebody. Oftentimes it's more than one component. How did you feel your chi or life force change for you to allow caring and bringing in another life force into this world? I, you know, I think it's exactly what you just, the words you exactly just said, learning how to allow. I think that's what changed for me the most. Because I'm one of those people that I feel like if I want something to happen, I know how to make things happen. I like to be in control of my life and, and other people's lives, quite honestly. And so I really, I think the most significant change for me, and I, it's interesting because this lesson still comes up for me as my daughter is in her teenage years is learning how to surrender and learning how to allow and learning how to not force things, but to mm. let things be in their own timing, let things evolve, you know, let winter become spring on its own time. And so that's something I'm still learning. And also I think that was the biggest thing that changed while I was going through my process. And even that allowance of, accepting that this might not happen. This this childbirth, this fertility thing might not happen for me. And so can I allow that? Can I make space for who it is that I'm becoming as opposed to what it is that I want? And that's something that I'm continually relearning as I move through life. I think that's a big lesson for a lot of us. Yeah. For sure. There's a practice in the book uh, that I talk about called making a prayer board. And it's not a religious practice, but it is this idea of 
not instead of making a vision board where you know exactly what it is that you want, it's focusing on who and how you want to be in the world. So similar to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, it's not just wanting money. It's do I want freedom? Do I want to be generous? Do I want to be expansive and creating imagery that reflects that feeling of becoming? And then my favorite phrase is this or something better. So I want this to happen, but if there's something better out there for me that I'm supposed to have, I want that. I don't want to just be limited to what I think I know. There may be someone listening who is dealing with infertility issues. Is there anything else you can share here to maybe help inspire them as they go forward on their path? One of the things that my mentor taught me is to honor the resistance and honor the transformation. And so with anything that is devastating, whether it's fertility challenges or some kind of diagnosis, um, this comes up a lot in my practice, that, you know, there's the, there's the part of us that is resisting whatever's happening and to honor that, that we have a right to feel how we feel. And I, I, as I remember my fertility process, I remember what I, what stands out to me is there were so many people telling me how to feel. They would say things like, well, don't worry, you can just X, Y, and Z. Or they would say, well, you shouldn't feel sad because, you know, and, and I really needed sometimes to feel my grief. I really needed sometimes to feel my sadness. I really needed sometimes to feel my anger and frustration. I needed to have my own felt experience. So I would say honor that. And then I would also say, and allow yourself to transform. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the other piece. And it's a, it's a delicate balance, I think, of allowing what is and also allowing what is to change at the same time. And so um, I don't know if that particularly brings hope, but that was somewhat helpful for me when I gave myself permission to feel the full range of emotions that I was navigating. And and that's, again, why I love five element theory so much, because it makes space for the full range of human experience. There's nothing that we have to um, kind of transcend or put aside that we're, it allows us to just to be where we are. Yeah. How are your doctoral studies of indigenous cultures and African diasporic psychology impacting you personally and informing you in your practice? What I love about indigenous and diasporic psychologies is that it brings us back to how did humans think about healing the mind and the body and the soul before what we know as today as conventional medicine? Right. So as I mentioned before, the medicine that we use now, the empirical sciences, um, the scientific method, even they're all about, say, maybe five, six hundred, if we're gracious, years old uh, in terms of a way of systemizing human experience and healing. And what I'm interested in is what did we do before that? What were the healing ways that we use? What were the medicines that we used? And what were the philosophies and worldviews that governed humanity for the thousands upon thousands of years that, that got us here? And so as I'm looking and exploring and researching and learning about indigenous medicines, 
what we're seeing is that there's there's so many components of it that a we're using now when we think about what's called complementary medicine. Um, so when we're looking at Reiki, flower essences, acupuncture, all of these medicines originated out of another time and space. Yoga, Ayurveda, right? And so I'm really interested in the the complex systems and the cultures that these medicines were born in. I'm interested in what is still relevant for us now as as a human family, and then maybe what we might do differently now that we have some of the modern sciences. Uh, and so that's really what has inspired my work recently. I think that uh, the research and really getting into each of these practices in within their own cultural context helps me to understand a bit more about how this medicine works and why it works and what is the worldview that will support us into whatever the next phase of humanity is, wherever it is that consciousness is taking us. Um, because I, I also feel really deeply that the way that we are moving through the world now, there's a lot of war, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of polarity in our thinking. And if we embrace this concept of looking backward to look forward, which is a, a African concept called Sankofa, this idea of looking behind us, taking what works and evolving it forward is is really what I'm interested in. I call us the neo-ancients. We're, we're doing old medicine, but we're doing it in new ways. What does African diasporic mean? So African diasporic means that any of the practices, the traditions, the languages, the culture that was born on the African continent and has made its way throughout the world in a number of ways. So, of course, there is the transatlantic slave trade, which is one way that a lot of those cultures and traditions have made it to the Americas, North America and South America. And then there's also the ways that those practices were shared across the globe prior to the colonial era. And so we see that in many of the spiritual traditions. We see that in some of the language customs that are shared amongst indigenous people in completely different spaces and time. And so when we're talking about African diasporic, we're talking about any practice, culture, um, any artifact, anything that has its can be traced back to its origins somewhere in um, African culture and tradition. That are now spread out around the world? Spread out around the world. So certainly through my lineage, you know, I'm a, a Black woman here in America. And so there's the lineage of my ancestors coming here. And then there's also so much research around how Africa and Asia were in communication with one another, how the Africas and the Americas were in communication with one another. We see all of these, you know, the evidence, and this is very much condensing a lot of historical research, but, you know, when we see the pyramids in South America that mirror and reflect some of the pyramids in North Africa, we can understand that humanity has been sharing the best of itself from the beginning. And so when we're thinking about the diaspora, we're thinking about what still is alive that is showing up in a new place and time, but has a shared root. Even the five element theory, traditional Chinese medicine has its roots in Africa, in Nubia. 
Yeah, there there's some research. Uh, I believe it's Dr. Clyde Winters who has done some extensive research around how uh, specifically spiritual traditions have moved. Um, but what I like to think of is less of a linear sharing of consciousness and practices because the truth is I wasn't there. I don't remember what happened, <laughs> right? But what I do see is that when we look at systems of thought around the world in different periods of humanity, we see what we would consider an emergence of certain kinds of thought. So whether the um, the Zhao and, and Shang dynasty were directly learning from um, Nubian ancestors, which is one possibility. And I think the artifact, the artifactual um, evidence does point to that, or whether this was the worldview of humanity that was shared and there was an emergence of similar thought, archetypal thought. I think of the work by Adrienne Marie Brown. She has a book called Emergent Strategy. And she talks about how these um, consciousness emerges in places at different times. She gives the analogy of birds in a flock that all turn and fly together, even though they might not necessarily be speaking, right? And so I think about that when I think about these these medicines and these cultures and traditions. There is the historical and linear sharing of knowledge and information, and then there's the more mythical um emergence of of consciousness really that allows these systems to see a world in a particular way through the anima mundi through that shared breath through that shared consciousness that we get to have access now through many of these complementary practices yeah and and after all we are all human and we share a collective history on this planet right and even more importantly we share a collective future so what are we doing in order to get us there, <laughs> right? Because whatever is behind us is, is true, but whatever is coming, we have to create and we have to create it together. And so that's where there is some potential for us to, to do more. Yeah, absolutely. Lindsay, is there anything else you want to share today about how people can be in their element? I would love to invite listeners to begin by trusting themselves and going within. And if there is something that you heard today that even lights a little spark, to to follow that flame, right? To follow that heart knowing and to trust that heart knowing and to see where it leads you. Our inner knowing and our dreams and our own insights can often lead us quite well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it, it's, it's such a, uh, beautiful, soul inspiring practice to begin to tap into our other ways of knowing and being. It's very validating. And I find that we live more authentically when we, when we can tap in and tune in. Lindsay, thank you so much for all that you've shared with us today. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. I've immensely enjoyed it. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Mm -hmm.